right, good morning. Hey, there you go. These are my movement friends down here in the front row. You guys like made a row. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Move your chairs around. They gave you permission to. Hey, uh, my name is Shibu Matthew, pastor of Family Movements here at the church. So excited to be here with you today. Um, Yesterday was a big day for a lot of people who ran in the Kinsley Marathon. Uh, I, back in February, I uh, sprained an ankle and it was more severe than that. I tore a ligament um, and, uh, and couldn't like even walk a half mile. And so I went and saw a doctor, MRI, a physical therapist, and they said, hey, your ankle is actually healing. Like the completely torn ligament has scarred up, the tissue is scarred up and it's healed. You just need to trust your ankle. I was like, okay. And they gave me some exercises. I have to brush my teeth like this, you know, and then I switch to this side, proprioceptive exercises. I paid a lot of money for that word and you just got it for free. Uh, and, uh, and so then I had this moment in uh, late spring where I was like, I, I need an inciting incident. I need to step into this story uh, and I need to sign up for a race. So I did, I plunked down the money Signed up for the Kansas City Half Marathon was the distance I signed up for. There were full marathoners yesterday. There were half. There were 10, 5K people. Um, I, I did not make my half marathon goal because there were some other uh, challenges during training. I scaled down to the 10K. Phenomenal experience. Um, and, uh, and I ran with others, with some of you. It was fun to see some of the World Vision tees here in the room and on the road yesterday. You left. The 10K route left. Uh, the starting gate and turned south into the plaza and the fountains were blue. And you just had this like, I'm just going to run faster because this is awesome. And there were cowbells and, and there was music and there were two or three kind of musicians that had just pulled up their PAs and were playing. It was just a fun environment. Now, um, my God-sized dream was a half marathon. I did not achieve my God-sized dream, but uh, that was my uh, late spring thing that I felt like I was supposed to do just to kind of kick it into gear and, and have, we're going to talk more about inciting moments in here in a little bit. Uh, but uh, but I, I hope as we've been journeying through this series, Nehemiah's Life, that this God-sized dream has come into focus for you. So that, that was one of my God-sized dreams, just some physical fitness and some healing for my body. But I have other God-sized dreams uh, and, and I'm sure you do too. I know some Heartlanders that are just setting out to to launch a business. They have full-time jobs, but they feel God calling them to this business venture so that they can create good and give money away to other people. It's just this phenomenal dream that they have, and that's a God-sized dream. For uh, for some, it's it's a Heartland couple that has their baby in the NICU right now, and their God-sized dream is getting baby home and being together. My God-sized dream right now, uh, if I could think about the one that's decades long, is, is my family. Married to Anna, Robbie's seven, Adeline's three, and just this picture of kids who are seven and three right now that would, in decades' time, have this Jesus-first life. It's a God-sized dream because it just can't happen today, and it won't happen without, with me alone. It will happen with God doing the work, you know, and me joining God in that dream. And you're like, wait a minute, Shabu, your God-sized dream is parenting? <laughs> I just want to give you permission to, like, your God-sized dream, name it. Like, it's not something that you're not going to the moon or going to outer space like Shatner. That's not, that doesn't have to be your God-sized dream. It sure can. But your God-sized dream could be the reality that you're living in today, and it just needs named, you know? Don't compare, by the way. 
I learned this on the, the marathon course yesterday. You notice how I just call it the marathon course? It's a 10K course. But, but don't compare. There's this hill, and uh, I realized people were passing me on the hill over here and over here, and I found myself wondering why I wasn't as fit to go as fast as they are on this hill and this person. Comparison sucks. Like, it just sucks the life out of you, your story compared to someone else's story, you're not their story. They weren't recovering from the ATFL tear that I was. I wasn't recovering from whatever. They were surmounting obstacles that were kind of in their life. And there's this moment like, hey, just don't compare your God-sized dream to anybody else's God-sized dream. Nehemiah's our, our person today. And no one should compare their dream to Nehemiah's dream. Because it's unique. It's, he's the one person that's called to, to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And he's going after it. But it's, it's the dream that God has given him. Just make this, make this one thing true about your dream. Make it big enough that you don't get the credit for it when it's done. And that you can say, this wasn't my effort, my gusto, but this was something that, that God did through me. Okay, a couple pictures here. This is me at the finish line. Just proof me and Ben Morrill ran together. Well, we didn't run together because he, again, ran the half. Uh, and uh, I ran the 10K here, but that's Ben. Uh, we uh, indulged on pork sandwiches after being gluttons for running punishment. Uh, the next picture is our very own Lisa Zolke and Tom Bronner, who uh, completed the half marathon. And there was a corner of Go Tom Go signs that were built. And it was just really fun just to have that encouragement uh, built in. That's what I want to focus on today because there are... Music, cowbells, all the things that come along with race day. But then there are race placards, race signs. And, uh, and this is one of my favorite race signs. It's touch here for power. <laughs> I saw this one yesterday. I saw a runner just go up and slap the sign and take off for 15 or 20 feet with some, some strong burst of energy. It's great when a kid's holding that sign. This one was on the half marathon course yesterday, uh, and it was called, it was at uh, the beginning of a two and a half mile hill, and it said this. It was at the, it was at the nine or 10 mile mark. The sign is not lying, but we don't want to see that sign. You know, there, there are encouraging signs, but then there are signs like that. And then this one's my personal favorite. Hey dad, mom would be going faster. Yeah, pretty good. The signs are some of the best part, uh, and I'm going to read you some sign ideas. These are, these are mean signs because you've got nice signs. You've got uh, other signs that are kind of in the middle just trying to make you laugh, like worst parade ever, that kind of stuff. It's not very original, but you, you just kind of, it makes you laugh. But then there are these signs, and these are ones that aren't written and I hope never are. Hurry up, slow poke. I need to get somewhere. Or you call that running? Question mark. Or worse yet, and this is probably the one that hurts a lot, is a driver at an intersection who's rolling their eyes at you as you walk or run by their intersection. That's it's like painful for, <laughs> for the person who's just in the race running the course. Now, uh, what I want to suggest today is that our God-sized dreams, I think, have a lot of these kinds of signs. There's not like this, yay, go get them in your life all the time. There's not like people cheering you on all the time. I hope that's the case. But for me, and I'm assuming for you, there's a lot of signs that are like, you stink. You call that running? You know, like stuff like that. And the negativity and the, 
the critiques are, are constant. Today, Nehemiah uh, comes up against some opposition. It's opposition from the outside. It's somebody who thinks he can't do what he set out to do. And for you, those negative signs, I don't know what the sign holders are or saying on their signs, but if you're a, uh, in a work environment with a really tough boss, I can imagine that a place where there's not a lot of encouragement is a challenging place to work. Maybe you're a high school student and it's like homecoming season right now and you're like, man, I just don't have like a friend group to do this with. And the sign being held up is, man, we, we don't want to do this with you or we don't like you. And that's a, that's a hard place to be. Or you're a single parent who would have benefited like me last yesterday from a water aid station where there was cold cups of Powerade and somebody handed it to me and I just got to walk for 10 seconds and slow down and, and that powered me for the next couple miles. And maybe you're here and the single parenting journey is like, I need a water aid station. I need somebody to come alongside and just give me some strength for the next couple miles. In all these situations, there's just more negative signs than positive ones. Um, They're not in the category of funny signs you would see at a race. They're in the category of that hurts. I didn't need to hear that. I didn't need to believe that. I didn't need to think to believe that about myself. And it's really hard to run a race that way. Really hard. Nehemiah has this moment. That's what I love about his life. He's human. He's got this moment where he's chasing a God-sized dream and he encounters some obstacle. obstacles. Now, every good story has a villain. Uh, and so this villain's name is Sanballat. Sanballat recruits some other villains and there's this supervillain force that's essentially rising up against Nehemiah and God's people. Uh, I think we know that a really good story has actually a really good villain in it. I think we like stories that have villains in them. But then when there are God-sized dreams and our stories and we encounter some opposition, I think we sometimes can't believe it's happening to us. Donald Miller, uh, in a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, writes this. Humans naturally seek comfort and stability. Without an inciting incident that disrupts their comfort, they won't enter into a story. They have to get fired from their job or be forced to sign up for a marathon. A ring has to be purchased. A home has to be sold. The character has to jump into the story, into the discomfort and the fear. Otherwise, the story will never happen. In chapter 4, where we are today, in the first verse of chapter 4, we meet, it, we meet this character, Sanballat. And his actions are the inciting incident in Nehemiah's life in the story of chapter 4. And here's what verse 1 says. When Sanballat heard that we, remember this is Nehemiah's memoir, it's written in his voice, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. I want to pause and ask you a question. Who are you making furious? And not in the uh, go be a jerk kind of way, but are there people, structures, power dynamics, spiritual forces that are mad that you're doing what you're doing? that you're abiding in Jesus, that you're trying to make wrong things right? Is there a sense that, that there's somebody that's angry at you? Nehemiah is not a provoker, mind you, but he is crystal clear on his part in God's story, and he's acting out that part with, with determination. I, I don't think our enemies are like Sanballat anymore, like physical people all the time. They are at times, but, but I think Ephesians 6 
2 gets at this. Here's what it says. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Things that are just not visible, but they're there and present and clearly around us. Expect some opposition. If you're chasing a God-sized dream, expect some opposition. Most of it will be invisible. I had this moment. It was uh, midweek, two or three weeks ago, and I was in charge of getting the kids to two different schools in that kind of one-hour magic window where everyone needs to get dropped off. And there was a doctor's appointment. Uh, The doctor's appointment was at 8 o'clock, and it was... um, my lack of planning, my failure, but it was 7.30 and nobody was dressed. It was 7.30 and nobody was fed. The doctor's office was 20 minutes away. I was going to be late. And I felt it. I felt this like, uh, I felt like a bad parent. I felt like a poor planner. I, at my kitchen counter, I remember this moment midweek, I just uh, overcome with emotion, sadness, anger, I started breathing heavily. I felt tears coming on. There was this strange panic setting in. I was like, I'm freaking out right now. Like, I'm, I'm so behind. I don't know what. Had a moment where I just grabbed the granola bars. I chucked them in the bag. I put the kids in the cars. I buckled them up. It's a pretty awful feeling. Losing track of the schedule is one thing. But losing yourself emotionally in that moment felt, felt like another thing. It was like somebody was standing there holding a sign that said, you stink at parenting. And that was my placard that I was reading. The enemy uh, started using that circumstance to start a sign, a soundtrack, if you will, in my life, in my head that started playing. I say soundtrack because it's the title of a book from John Acuff. And here's a quote from John's book. One of the greatest mistakes you can make in life is assuming that all your thoughts are true. These soundtracks, you stink at parenting. Started to believe it, started to wonder if that's true. Acuff goes on from there and writes, are these thoughts kind is a second question you can ask. Are these thoughts helpful? A third question. For a moment though, I assumed that that thought was true. Poor plan or bad parent, here we go. Send Ballot in chapter 4 back to Nehemiah's story. This is just uh, verse 2. So we're just one verse in. Send Ballot is mad and not just mad anymore. Now he's going to start the mockery. And here's the questions in chapter 4, verse 2. Send Ballot mocked the Jews before his colleagues, gathered a group and the powerful men of Samaria and said, What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Sinbalat gets a buddy to make fun of Nehemiah with. His name is Tobiah the Ammonite. And the anger, so the angers moved to mockery and now moves to ridiculous insults. Here's the category. I just want to put this in. Because here's what Tobiah says. He was sitting beside him and said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. It's just a bad insult. It's not even funny. You're just like, well, Tobiah, like, what's the point? And maybe there's some deep cultural learnings about foxes that I have not uncovered yet, but, but it's just a terrible insult. And it reminded me of fifth grade when I was 10 years old out on the playground at 
Heritage Elementary, which is a few miles south of here. And Shibu is a name that's kind of ripe for the picking, you know. I've heard a lot of names in my life. I didn't like my name until I was like 16 and it was like unique and cool. But up until then, it was just this like target. And, uh, and it was Sean. Sean was six inches taller than me. And out on the playground, Sean said this. Shampoo Shibu. I mean, it's just not funny. Are you insinuating that I use shampoo? Great. Are you, like, what, what, where is this going? But all I, all I know is what happened in that moment is Sean said it, and some other people started laughing about it. And then it was some other people. And before you know it, I was in tears because everyone was laughing at my name. Somehow, I left the moment near the fourth square thing and was with Mrs. Summers. Mrs. Summers was my fifth grade teacher. And she was holding me, and she whispered in my ear, hey, bud, they, they called me Skeleton Jill when I was in fifth grade. It felt really bad. I'm sorry they're being mean to you. She, like, stepped into my world, brought me close, showed me some empathy. She was just a voice of kindness. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Nothing is further from the truth. Words hurt. Words cut deep. And I just imagine Nehemiah like sitting at home and hearing about what the enemies are saying about his project and how it's never going to work. And imagine the internalizing of those things like Nehemiah just feels it. And he's the leader, and so people are going to look to him to see how he responds. And, and I imagine that between verses 4 and 5, Nehemiah does a lot of processing. I imagine that he goes on a walk and talks with God about what's happening. I imagine he sits alone in front of a, a cup of tea and, and just talks to God about, like, what he's feeling. He says things like this, God, am I crazy? Is Senballat right? Is this dream even from you? And all those questions seem to get answered for Nehemiah. We don't know if they get asked or answered, but they seem to because of what happens next. What happens next is Nehemiah gathers everyone in verse 4 and 5, and they, this is a broken record for Nehemiah. If you've been with us for four weeks now, Nehemiah prays. Bad stuff happens, Nehemiah prays. Somebody's making fun of Nehemiah, Nehemiah prays. Doesn't know what to do, Nehemiah prays. There's just this like go-to thing for Nehemiah. He just settles into this conversation with God. And he gathers the people and does it. Here's what it says in verse 4 and 5. Listen, our God, this is their prayer, for we are despised. Make their insults, Sanballat and Tobiah and everyone else, make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. Now, there's, a, there's some justice in that prayer. Right? <laughs> there's like a, God, you handle that. And I think that's a 180 from how you and I handle things. I think we call names back, you know. Oh, a fox? Let me offer you my best comeback to your insult. But Nehemiah and God's people just pray. 
and they leave vengeance in the hand of God. They don't worry about getting back at their enemies. And did you catch that last line? Because they have angered the builders. Uh, the anger of Sanballat, he was furious, remember? And he launched into mockery and recruited the team to make fun of everyone. The anger in Sanballat created this anger in the builders. Now, what I want you to notice there is that anger is a thing. It's not bad. It produces something. And what anger can produce can be awfully destructive. But what anger can also produce is a fierce grit and determination. And that seems to be what it, what it has done for God's people on this project. And so that, that leads us to the most important verse. It's the verse, if you're going to get a Nehemiah tattoo, it's verse 6. It's the one that says, so we built the wall. Right out of the prayer, verses 4 and 5, verse 6, so we built the wall. Those five words, grit, determination, focus, they did the work. And it goes on to say this, all the wall, so the wall around Jerusalem, all of the wall was joined together. No more gaps. And it was joined together to half its height. It's not done. For the people had a mind to work. I was on a mile five, so the 10K is a 6.2 race. And at mile five, uh, a friend had been running the 5K. His name was Justin, and, and Justin and Molly found me at mile five. And at mile five, they were the only ones there that said my name the whole route because I didn't know anyone else on the route. And it was kind of a lonely run at different moments, even though you've got all this pomp and stuff happening around you. But Molly and Justin just said, go Shibu. And I just picked up the gear for this last mile, 1.2 miles. Uh, God's people like, had this moment where they just like, they go hard and they do the work. They just do it. And you would think that this would shut down the enemy, like Sanballat and Tobiah and everyone else. But it doesn't because this enemy has a real, a real tactic, a real strategy to kind of mess up this project because they know if this project gets done that their livelihood, their safety might be threatened. And here's what happens. They get together their team, and now that they know the wall is half its height, they double down on their verbal sparring and their verbal attacks, and they say, this is now. We're going to attack. We're, go we're going to attack the project. We're going to fight against Jerusalem. And it's remarkable that this is what they do, but this is where they get. And it's a broken record. Nehemiah, remember, he just prays. He just kind of continues to return to this conversation with God. He prays to God. Here's three things Nehemiah does. He prays to God. He gets to work, and he rallies the team. When he gets to work, he, he decides, what, what do we need to do today? We can't put our head in the sand and pretend that like Sanballat and Tobiah are like just making this up because they could come at us. And if they do, we need to be ready. So he gives all the families weapons. Like families are given swords, spears, and bows to defend themselves in this dream, this God-sized dream, because God-sized dreams require us to believe God's voice, not the enemy's voice. And that happens in that place of prayer. He rallies the team is the third thing he does here. Nehemiah 4.14 says this. Nehemiah gathers everyone, and he, he puts everyone at different places of the wall and in these low parts of the wall that just haven't quite been built to the, to the same fortifications as the rest. And these are vulnerable places. This is where you would attack. And he puts his people near those places and says this. 
Don't be afraid of them. This is verse 14. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. It's a show of strength, as one commentator, as I was studying this passage, said, this is, this is a moment where Nehemiah puts everyone in a place where they could be attacked and says, bring it on. It's his Braveheart moment. He says, we're going to fight for our freedom. And you know what doesn't happen? Sanballat and Tobiah don't come. They don't physically attack. But this is the moment where, where Nehemiah, as a leader, said, this is what my people need. They need to know that we're stronger because God is on our side. And so this is what I'm going to do. From this moment on, uh, everything is different for the rest of this project. Verse 16 says, half of my men from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Sword here and the, the picture is a trowel here. Just something to lay the stones of the foundation with the mortar. Sword here, trowel here. And these were the weapons of building and warfare that God's people now had to carry. I love it because it, it means that I don't get to put my head in the sand about the brutal facts that I'm facing. I have to really consider these circumstances and I also need to keep working at the same time. So that day that I felt uh, like a poor plan or bad parent, I sat in the driveway. Everyone's in the minivan, but I was still tense. I was still feeling it. I was, I was, uh, I was juiced up. And uh, God stopped me because I knew I couldn't take anyone anywhere like that. Like I couldn't drive a car or van like that. I needed to calm down. And God stopped me and I just paused took a few deep breaths. I prayed and I calmed down. Got in the, out of the driveway, pulled out of the neighborhood. And uh, I looked back just in the rearview mirror and said to my kids, hey, I, I'm sorry for making us late. All me. Uh, and I'm sorry for getting upset with you guys. Without missing a beat, my three-year-old, Adeline, she says, we forgive you, Daddy. It's 7.45 a.m. when she says that. <laughs> and I don't know she's, that she's capable of it, and yet I do. It's like she was holding a sign for me. We forgive you, Daddy. Something that, like, replaced the, the sign that I'd been reading... But it was a sign that said, hey, we, we, we forgive you, Daddy, and we love you. It's what I needed to get through one day in this God-sized parenting dream of mine, just to know that our relationships are okay. I want to challenge us uh, to take a page out of Nehemiah's playbook. So Nehemiah's got this God-sized dream, and it starts to get attacked and he goes to this place of prayer. And he talks with others, I'm sure of it. And he's working on this God-sized dream. He's the only one that can run this distance, this race. And he starts to see some people holding up the negative signs. And he starts to ask, is that true? Is that helpful? Is it kind? 
And then because he's human, here's the moment I don't want you to miss. Because Nehemiah is human, he wrestled with those messages. He just had to ask, like, am I off here or am I still on, on target with what God has called me to do? Sat in prayer and he asked God to help him with those messages. And God did. The messages weren't true, nor kind, nor helpful. And Nehemiah gets to all those questions and then is able to rally the team and keep building the project. That's what I want you to do today. The band's going to lead us in a song here in a moment. It's called Sea of Victory. Here's some of the lyrics. And I think they're the lyrics of Nehemiah because Nehemiah sees a victory. He sees something happening that God is going to do. Nehemiah is a person who pauses He prays and sees the end and he sees a W, like he sees what's going to happen here. When everyone else wonders if it's going to happen, Nehemiah sees it. He sees a victory because he knows the battle belongs to the Lord. He sees that God is going to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. That yes, a weapon may be formed in the enemy's camp, but it will not prosper because I'm going to see a victory. Would you stand and let's sing this last song together?